I just, uh, Congressman, thank you. I just want to reemphasize, because I don't think I can emphasize it enough. As the director of the Centers for Disease Control, the leading public health agency in the world, it is in the public health interest of these K-12 through students to get these schools back open for face-to-face -face learning. The isolation that these uh, adolescents are feeling uh, that now is associated with increased, as you mentioned, increased drug overdose deaths and now over, uh, increased suicides, I think it is really important. As a grandfather, 11 grandkids, I want these kids back in school. I have one grandchild with cystic fibrosis. So I want it done smartly, right? But I think we have to be honest that the public health interest of the students in this nation right now is to get a quality education in face-to-face -face learning, and we need to get on with it. That's the director of the CDC, and it kind of seemed like whatever they asked him, he found a way to work in, and we have to open schools. Because, uh, you know, he's got 11 grandkids. I know the reason I care so much is I've got two kids of school age. If he's got 11 grandkids, yeah, he's... he's he, he, He's seeing it. He realizes, because he's hearing it firsthand, I'm sure, from his kids, how what a disaster it was last year. It wasn't okay at all, by anybody's standards. And we're going to do it again? No freaking way. Well, it looks like we're going to. Well, and uh, my kids are grown, but I think if you have a living soul and you have followed the, the science and the journalism, uh, youth health is declining in a hurry in disastrous and really scary ways. The idea that <clears throat> you have the concern for health on one side and the concern for uh, education opening the economy on the other is idiotically oversimplified. Kids desperately need to be with kids, and they need to get back to school. It's not a partisan thing. It's not a Trump thing. I could give half a crap what Trump thinks about opening the schools. I don't care. It's not a federal issue. Schools clearly have to open. I should be back in school. You're right, youngster. Well, they aren't. And that's, that decision has been made. Most everywhere. They aren't. And how long before they will? I don't know. I don't know. It's depressing. It is actually depressing. And it's depressing for the kids. And you hate to see depressed children. Children aren't supposed to be depressed. Right, right. There's a San Diego councilman, Chris Kate, who's uh, offered uh, a handful of solutions that will be snickered at in the union-owned hallways of the capital of Cal Unicornia, but that uh, parents should get a child care tax credit and a stipend to pay for homeschool or distance learning costs, such as tutors or computers. If the schools aren't open, the teachers aren't teaching, don't give the money to them. Uh, yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, you know, and I heard, I, I, I don't like... Getting into Jim Acosta and Trump and all that sort of stuff just uh, without tires me out that whole thing. Uh, his grandstanding. But he, I heard him say the other day, uh, Trump was talking about opening the schools. And Jim Acosta actually said, and now he's closed the convention. So how do you square those two things? He doesn't think it's safe for a convention, but he thinks it's okay for schools to happen. Well, there's, hey, you freaking genius. There's no downside at all to anyone for canceling a convention. Zero and does zero harm to anyone, as we've been saying for weeks. And the CDC director and ask any parent or anybody you wanted to pediatricians, anybody. There's a tremendous downside to not having school. You freaking moron. Add to that that the convention is going to be entirely adults, including older adults. And the kids are kids. Is Jim Acosta that stupid or is he just that hardcore uh, uh, an activist for his side? And what is your side anyway? I don't know. Are you advocating for child suicide? What are you talking about? 
God, that is so bad. Yeah, that really and, that really bugged me. And listen, I'm really into this stuff, so I try not to be judgmental of people who aren't. Maybe they're too busy. Maybe God didn't bless them uh, frontal lobe-wise or whatever. They can't comprehend it. The number of people <sighs> who hear crap like that and believe it and think, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's damaging the kids. God, I wish we could reach more people and just help them understand. Um, uh, also on the God, shutdown. That's frustrating. I hadn't heard that quote. Oh. I, I want to punch him right in the face for that. <laughs> now you understand, don't you? <laughs> oh, make me feel better. Uh, we didn't hit this number yesterday. The unemployment claims were up again. So after 15 straight weeks of going down from that record number, all of them records, if you look historically, down, down, down. Two weeks in a row where it's gone up, where people, uh, you know, filing for unemployment help. Um, there's that. And then a new study found that permanent closures of businesses now account for 55% of all closed businesses since March. Of all businesses that have closed, oh, okay. you know, at all, they're not just temporary. It's not just until the governor says I can open back up again. 55% of them are done completely which is a Oof. horrifying number. We were talking with Oof. a really smart business guy yesterday, and the subject came up of, you know, the day of reckoning. Th- there's got to be a day of reckoning on this whole economic thing. The, the 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 record highs in the stock market and, you know, your 401k looking great and all this sort of stuff for people who are still employed. How can this continue? You can't borrow $9 trillion. You can't have all these businesses closed and all these people out of work and there not be a rubber meets the road moment. Can there? The federal government has pumped so much morphine into our national bloodstream. We're thinking, this isn't so bad. I think we're going to do fine. But you can't keep doing that forever. Man, that 55% of closed businesses are closed for good. No, the laws of economics say that eventually people need the goods and services, and they will their demand will not shift once we get back to something semi-normal. But there there could be a 5, 10, 20-year lag time before that stuff works itself out. Oh, yeah, a long lag time. I mean, if I decide time. I'm going to open a restaurant, it ain't going to be open tomorrow. Well, right. I, I actually heard an economist explaining uh, yesterday on how, like, your local pizza shop, if it goes under, how much you lose from that. You know, their their expertise in providing a product that in that area of that town is enough to make you a profitable business. Mm-hmm. The relationships with all the vendors, their customers, the landlord of the building, all that stuff disappears. And you have to remake that. And in many cases, it's decades worth of knowledge, relationships, um, uh, strategy, everything that right. makes that happen. You right. Like you just said, you can't you just can't recreate that overnight. I think there's an incredible lack of wisdom and perspective among our our brave leaders, um, and they've completely lost the ability to balance the threat from the COVID with all these other threats. I don't even think they're paying attention to that, partly because they're government workers. They will always have a paycheck, or so they believe. Um, They don't understand business. They don't truly appreciate how economies work. They think economies are just piggy banks for government, that we work for the government, and I think it's just, I think we are going down a road that we will really, really regret. We need to be safe. We need to be smart. We need to open every single damn business that we possibly can now. Or we will be, you know, eating nothing but the bitter, bitter fruits of what we've done for a long time. My bitter fruit shop's not even open. 
Nope. Can't even buy like bitter you fruit. Had a lot of customers anyway. And then you got to order it online and pick it up at the curb. Do you have anything um sweet here? Nope. Got an old apple. <laughs> this is not sweet. Got a shriveled up grape. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Jack's Bitter Fruit Store. <laughs> the fabulous Lon He Chen coming do we, up. Do we do we ask somebody as smart as Lon He Chen with his experience about Trump? Claiming he's going to postpone the election. Do we even get into that dumb conversation with a smart guy? Yes. Yes, we will. Because I think it's important to shine a light on how dumb it is. Darren, shine a light on the dumbness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got a couple of questions of that sort for Lonnie. All right. That's coming up. Armstrong and Getty. Show. Is the net effect of what you tweeted this morning and what you're talking about now to cast doubt on the results of the November 3rd election? Well, it's had an interesting impact. Uh, I didn't know it was going to be the impact it had. What people are now looking at is, am I right? But not me. Are all these stories right about the fact that these elections will be fraudulent? They'll be fixed. They'll be rigged. And everyone's looking at it. And a lot of people are saying, you know, that probably will happen. That's hilarious. Um, so Trump <laughs> tweeted yesterday that, uh, you know, maybe we should delay the election. <laughs> and everybody went crazy. And he says, I didn't think it would have that sort of a reaction. I, it surprises me. <laughs> I, I love him jerking people around. I mean, I get a kick out of that on, on many different levels. Sure. But yeah. uh, the pretend outrage in the rest of it. <laughs> I often wonder what he's hoping to accomplish. We're joined by Lon He Chen, David Nyan, Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution. And Lon He, much as I deal with my backyard, let's clean up the dung first, and then we'll get on to the more edifying uh, stuff. That's the worst transition I've ever heard. Thank you. So uh, the idea that Trump would delay the election, how likely? Oh, God. Uh, look, zero likelihood. (laughs) Zero likelihood that he can do it. Uh, You know, zero likelihood that he would ever, uh, you know, he'd ever be able to get away with it. You know, on on this one, the Constitution and U.S. law are pretty clear. Now, uh, one more, and it's even more ridiculous. And I think it's zero likely he would try, and he knew that. So, Uh, Even more ridiculous. If Trump were to declare after the election... Which, in this scenario, he lost. I am not leaving. <laughs> As has been suggested in the New York Times, the Washington Post. Morning Joe talks about it all the time. All the alphabet in, networks. In serious tones. As a man of great experience and knowledge, if a president were to declare that, what would happen on Inauguration Day? Well, I mean, you know, he would find himself locked out of the White House. I mean, that's just not it's it's uh, again, the Constitution here is very clear. U.S. law is very clear. The president's term ends on a certain date. And if he has not been reelected, he is no longer the president. Yeah, by noon on January 20th, you're a private citizen. You don't live here anymore. Right. So you just be a trespasser and he'd be removed. Right. (laughs) Right. I mean, it would be like, you know, it's it's like the, the, the guy who finds himself kicked out of his house. I mean, it's this is this is kind of what would happen. So, you know, I mean, look, there's a lot of conversation about stuff Trump says, and and there's a lot of things I really wish he wouldn't say, and I and I don't I don't think are particularly helpful. Uh, but you know, he is sort of 
as you guys alluded to, he's sort of the ultimate troll in a lot of ways, right? I mean, he sort of gets people to respond to things uh, and then gets people spun up. And, and that's exactly what he's hoping to do. He's hoping to take, you know, people take their eyes off the ball and take their eyes off of what really matters. Would it be a good idea for, uh, you know, Barack Obama bringing it up yesterday at John Lewis's funeral, I thought was shocking. The, I, he actually suggested Democrats need to do away with the filibuster in the Senate. Is that is that an issue you could get people worked up about, or is that too complicated for most voters? Uh, I think it's an issue that activist bases get really worked up about. So on the right and on the left, this is actually one area where the activist base on the right agrees with the activist base on the left. The idea that the filibuster is antiquated, and if only we didn't have the filibuster, we'd be able to get so much done. The problem with that, of course, is that the way American politics works is that you don't have one party in control for long periods of time, usually. Party, you know, party control goes back and forth, which means, you know, if you want the filibuster gone for Republicans, uh, then you ought to be able to accept the fact that filibuster will be gone for Democrats as well. And that's precisely why the filibuster, I think, remains in place, because people realize how damaging it would be if it were to be to be eliminated. Well, just to put it in plain terms, what we'd see, among other things, is wild, jarring, instant changes in the way the country is governed every four years or every two years, conceivably. I mean, just wild swings in policy, foreign policy, domestic policy. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, you'd see, you know, you'd have Obamacare one year, you'd have no Obamacare the next year, and then you'd have Medicare for all the fifth year. I mean, that's the, that, that's the kind of gyrating that you would see, and it would be tremendously damaging and difficult for us to really uh, be able to operate as a country in a lot of ways, because you would have massive portions of the economy affected by big-time policy, and, and it would change all the time, because what would happen is you would only need a simple majority to make these huge policy changes in the Senate. And that's really the only thing that keeps this, I think, that keeps the train from going off the tracks completely. Oh, yeah, we could go back and forth between open borders and zero immigration in one administration. And before you know it, cannibalism. <laughs> Lon He Chen is on the line from the Hoover Institution. Uh, do you even care? Do you pay attention to uh, Joe Biden's VP choice, or, or is that just an overrated uh, question? You know, I mean, it's something that the political class gets really excited about and interested in, you know, particularly because maybe there's there's not a whole lot of other, uh, you know, other other stories to follow closely. Uh, look, I, I think it matters insofar as Joe Biden's situation is that he's really old and, you know, you want to make sure that there is somebody there uh, who credibly could be president, you know, at any given time. So I think in this situation with Biden, the VP pick matters a little bit more. But historically, what we know is that the VP pick doesn't actually impact the course of the election right. that much. It's a new story for a few days, but with Biden's case, maybe it matters a little bit more. Um, former White House press secretary Joe Lockhart argued the other day, I think it was in Time magazine, that Biden shouldn't debate at all. So Biden might do no press conferences and no debates up to the election. You think you can pull that off? No, I, I don't. And I think that's a stupid idea uh, to, to, to have Biden avoid debates. I mean, that plays right into the narrative that I think Trump is building around Biden, you know, the Biden in the bunker uh, narrative. And and I you know, look, I think Joe Biden has showed that there are times when he can be fine, lucid uh, during the 
Democratic primary debates. He went out there and he had a couple of debates that were really bad and a few that were quite good. Uh, I, I think that in this situation, if you're on the Biden team, you have to accept the possibility that Biden could do okay, and that there might be more harm than good in keeping him sequestered in the bunker and not wanting to debate. That is absolutely the wrong look, I think, for him. Yeah, I just wonder if it'll actually move votes. Right. right. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm not saying you're wrong, Lonnie. I just which you, well, you got to balance it against him coming out in a 90 minute debate and you know really showing his age. You know, the the the, yeah. the the risk, risk versus reward. Which I think is why they're hanging a lantern on some of his faults, as they say, saying, yeah, he's gap prone, the rest of it, but he's a nice fella. And now they're saying, look, he's a transitional figure. He's only going to do one term, then it's on to the new thing. It's no big deal if he gets elected. Although once, so. I, I did hear somebody make the argument that uh, Trump had the reverse situation for debates last time around. Hillary was the expert. She knew everything. She was a political expert. I don't know anything about debating. Well, Trump has set the bar so low for Biden now by saying, you know, he can barely talk. <laughs> I think if Biden comes out and is competent at all. Yeah. Oh, heck, we're out of time. Sorry about that, Lonnie. We, we did uh, all the talking. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> it's a waste right. of your valuable time, your expertise, et cetera. Lonnie Chen. That was interesting. Uh, fellow in American Public Policy Studies, Hoover Institution. Always enlightening. Thanks a million. Thanks, guys. All right. Um, yeah. I, I don't know with the Biden thing. I could see it going either way. There's so much more that's going to happen between now and then. Armstrong and Getty. Some business news that we could probably do without. French's is releasing a limited-time mustard beer. Yeah. Finally, we no longer have to squirt some French's into our Bud Light. <laughs> All right. I'm looking at the picture. It's the French's logo on, logo on a can of beer, French's mustard beer. Is this a gimmick? Is it supposed to be good? Is it supposed to taste <laughs> like mustard? Is it, I mean, I've had a number of beers with a number of flavors. I mean, right. some it's vaguely mustardy. I don't, oh. But I don't think anybody asked for that. Yeah. You know what my favorite flavor of beer is? Beer flavor. Oh, I oh, love beer flavor beer. Quit so putting good. berries in there and juices and pumpkins and the rest of it. Beer flavored <laughs> beer. Uh, some documents from the Jeffrey Epstein story came out yesterday. We'll read a little bit of those in a, in a, in a couple seconds. Also, uh, Diane Feinstein, senator from California, said something horrifying about China yesterday. She is now apparently a Chinese lobbyist. I don't think that's an overstatement. We'll play the astounding tape for you coming up this hour. Man, is Ellen DeGeneres in the crosshairs of do-gooders right now for some reason. I can't imagine giving a crap <laughs> what the work atmosphere is like at the Ellen DeGeneres show. I just can't be any more abusive than around here, right? I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> anyway, she's not denying any of the things she's being charged with. She's going with it won't happen again. So, uh, And for that, I am sorry. Deeply sorry. Some people got yelled at? All right. Okay. That's the way grown-up work used to be. When I was, uh, like, the first several decades of my life, geez, from when I started working in places when I was 14... 
Certainly for the first several decades, being yelled at was just like part of the deal. Right. Then it tapered off some, but... Your boss is a mean jerk, so's mine. (laughs) But now the idea that somebody raised their voice at work is just a horror. Now she's got to apologize to the nation. Yeah. All right, fine. Mm -hmm. Or what? Is she going to be canceled? She's one of the great liberals in America. Who's coming after her? Anyway, Mm -hmm. I'm just surprised it is getting so much attention. Have you seen any of the Epstein documentary on Netflix? I have not. I have seen, I don't know how long it is total. I've seen an hour and a half's worth. Mm. It's something, though. It's damn interesting. I can't wait to get back to it and finish it. My wife watched the whole thing. Those are some kookaloos, man. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein and that uh, Maxwell woman. Hard party and pervs, as as the uh, media would have me believe. It, it's hard to tell if it's if if it's just because I already know they're crazy. But when you see videos of them talking and everything like that, they seem like crazy people. Oh, really? They seem like obviously weird, crazy people. Not just especially him. Not just lustful and and pleasure seekers, but no, they seem like weirdos. Unhinged. Like, what is the deal with that dude? There's a, there's okay. a shiftiness about the yeah, way that he engages yeah, conversations. He's like a real nervous. He's got this thick lisp. Not that that you know makes you a weirdo or anything like that. But he he just got this weird nervous. I, I don't know what we're supposed to do. I just I'll be right over here. He's just kind of a weird, mm. a rodent-like creature. Gollum-like. Yeah. And and, huh, she, and she's got that. this He's kind of a handsome and guy. she's got this wide eyed plastic smile as she's kind of like out of it all the time thing very, going. Uh, what was that? The Stepford wife, yeah. sort of like what is oh, going on really? here? Yeah. yeah. And then and then when they lay out talking to all the different uh, uh, girls, well, they were girls at the time. They're women now. And and what happened? And law enforcement and neighbors. I mean. It's, it's, they're 100% guilty, obviously. Everybody knows exactly what was going on in that neighborhood and has for decades. The, the, the Really, the interesting story is, so you can pull that off if you got enough money, huh, in America. That's really interesting. Yeah, the, the thing that surprises me is your description of them. I assumed that he was a charming rogue. I did, too. And she was like the, uh, the, the character out of Queen's song, Killer Queen. I mean, just utterly sophisticated, worldly, clever... You know, quick with a bon mo, and then to fill your champagne glass and yeah, I, dynamite with a laser beam, yeah. if you will. <laughs> well, I will. Hell yeah, I will. Yeah, I figured that too. I figured he was like some smooth talking, like you'd win anybody over. No, he doesn't come off that way at all. Uh, just a creepo. And a lot of the girls say they were weirded out by him. You know, f- upon first the first meeting with him. You know, she'd come to the local high school and recruit him to massage him, and they'd go to his place, and then he'd be there naked and say, would you rub my feet? Uh, just, just, oh, what a fool. got it. He okay. got it. Do you get it? Half the show's going to be gone. We've all hit the dump button eight times. Um, so a bunch of documents came out Jackson yesterday. Jackson naughty. <laughs> not sure that helps anything. You're human. I think the Republic will survive. Um, a bunch of documents came out yesterday, and they're really from that, because he got caught a long time ago down in Florida and got right. out of it. And then kept it up. And then kept doing it, um, which is its own weird power yeah, thing. The, the, the sweetheart deal he got in Florida, I think, is one of the more interesting variables in the 100%, story. Yeah. It, it not only gave immunity to him, but immunity to anybody associated with him. Right, and he got and, house arrest yeah. in 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 a in a in a uh, palace. 
So and got to go anywhere he wanted. His house arrest included him going anywhere he wanted. Yeah, that's rough. Rough conditions. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty clear that he saw what the repercussions were of being nailed, and they were practically nothing. So it emboldened him. Sure. And he he kept on with the pervert island and the and the pedo flights and the rest of it. So you have in that documentary a lot of the the videotape of their depositions when they're both being asked questions and that sort of stuff. And then some more transcripts came out yesterday. Uh, This is somebody asking, um, this is uh, her, right, Maxwell woman? I believe so, yeah. No, no, talking to one of the victims here. Um, Who did you see, or who do you remember flying on the plane with Jeffrey? That was what they called the Lolita Express? Yeah, right, yeah. Jeez. Let's all keep this in mind. For the future is that what they called it or is that what it they became? didn't call it but the like it was well known okay. i'd heard that term long before he got busted mm-hmm. you know it just was the sort of thing that got repeated in magazine yeah. articles and stuff yeah i don't think they actually called it pervert island either i mean that just it's a little on the nose uh who do you remember flying with jeffrey on his plane when you were personally present with regard to whether there was any sexual activity that occurred on the plane or not and this one uh rape victim says uh, okay there was naomi campbell Heidi Klum, there was Bill Clinton, there was Al Gore, there were a whole bunch of models. I wouldn't really honestly be able to give all their names. Uh, there was Matt Gronig, the producer from the Simpsons cartoon. The creator. Yeah. Um, a bunch of interior designers, architects, politicians. I'm just trying to think of as many names as possible off the top of my head. That's all I can do for now. Uh, a few other things I want to follow up and ask you again. Do you have any recollection of Jeffrey Epstein specifically telling you that Bill Clinton owes me favors? Yes, I do. It was a, it was a, it was a laugh though. He would laugh it off, you know. I remember asking Jeffrey, "What's Bill Clinton doing here?" Kind of thing, and he laughed it off and said, "Well, he owes me a favor." He never told me what the favors were. I never knew. I didn't know if he was serious or it was just a joke. Um, he told me that everyone owes him favors. They're all in each other's pockets. Is what he told this girl. It sounds about right. Probably true, and especially if they have a little dirt on each other, forges the bonds. When you said, you asked him, why is Bill Clinton here? Where was here? On the island. When you were present with Jeffrey Epstein and Bill Clinton on the island, who else was there? Uh, Ghislaine, Emmy, there were two young girls that I couldn't identify. I never really knew them all well anyway, just two girls from New York. And were you staying at Jeffrey's house on the island, including Bill Clinton? That's correct. He had about four or five different villas on the island, separate from the main house, and we all just stayed in the villas. Were sexual orgies a regular occurrence on the island at Jeffrey's house? Yes. It but doesn't did, mean Bill Clinton's a guilty of anything, but he's how got... How could that s- not be the next question? He's got some explaining he's got to do. All these people you mentioned on the plane, because that the, the, the question about the plane was framed with, and was there sexual activity on the plane? But there's no answer there. Right. How, what the heck? Hmm. Honey, did you go to the library and murder that man? Yes, I went to the library. Oh, okay. Wait, wait a minute. This is this is very frustrating. Oh boy, yeah, she gets she gets well. The, the the good stuff is really really graphic, and I can't read about oh uh, Maxwell being involved with a whole bunch of uh, females by the pool in an orgy situation there in the Virgin Islands. Which she gets into great detail of explaining what they were doing. You can probably but imagine some, of, some of the young women were underage, correct? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. By girls, I mean girls. Yes. Um, sometimes I say girls, I mean women, but in this case, I mean girls. 
But anyway, there's nothing in here that like nails down Bill Clinton doing anything. But he's he's not on trial here. So is that obviously if you bust a pedophile ring, you're trying to get anybody else that was involved in it sure. that has committed a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is not specifically an investigation going after Bill Clinton. No, no, he could be a material witness, though. He could be subpoenaed. Yeah, how would, the, how would he not be? How would he not be? He was on the plane and on the island. How would you not at some point question him and say, who else did you see around there? Even if you think he did nothing wrong. He obviously was there and saw lots of stuff. Right, right. Uh, you know, the, the who is thing? one thing. The what, I think, is the critical question. What did you see happening? Um. Because they have the flight to manifests, is it? What's the? Uh, That's what they say. Yeah, the, the, the roster of people the, on the there. log that has all the who is in what seats and all that sort of stuff. That uh, I think since nine eleven is mandatory on all flights. If a friend said to me, "Hey, I got a buddy. He has a private plane and an island in the Caribbean. We're having a big party," and he said I should invite a friend. You want to come? I'd probably say, "Yeah, yeah, I'll go." Yeah, I wouldn't think twice about it. But Alan Dershowitz's presence on these. Lists mystifies me. Now, see, I haven't gotten that far in the docu- documentary. My wife, who didn't know who Alan Dershowitz was, because she's not a news junkie like me, she, th- she thought, oh, and that lawyer guy comes off as a complete creepo. He's clearly guilty. Oh, And no. I thought, really? Alan Dershowitz? He doesn't strike me as that way. But One so of the I great watched, constitutional scholars of our time. I haven't watched the rest of the documentary. You ne- well, you know, I and you got to be careful, because you can cut you know, tape to make anybody seem like anything. Sure. Absolutely. And I haven't watched the documentary. I mean, like that totally unfair Tiger King show. It made it seem like all those people were messed up. I mean, it's wildly irresponsible. I would like to know the timeline of all this stuff, and I'll have to watch more of the documentary to try to figure that out or whatever. But once he got the reputation that was well-known enough that I heard about it, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't run in those circles. All those people do Those people do run in those circles. That's their circle. So obviously they'd heard the rumors. Now back to your example of, my buddy invites me to go to a party on an island who has a reputation for being a pedophile? No, I don't go. Uh-uh. That everybody constantly talks about what a pedophile he is and what a perv? Right. No, I don't go with him to his party. So that list of people we heard uh, hanging out with him, was that post-conviction in Florida? Well, that's what I was, I was, I was wondering about the timeline or even the rumors. Yeah. Um, was Bill Clinton, Alan Dershowitz, all the different people still hanging around with Epstein after he had a reputation as a pervo, that's a seems like a mistake. Yeah, I'd unless say. you want to get in on the pervo action. And what's the whole? They owe me favors. Now all these people owe each other all kinds of favors. I'll get your kid into this college. You donate money to my political campaign. Right. I'll make sure you get this. You know, it's against the zoning rules, but you can build your restaurant there. I'll show up to your fundraiser. Yeah, and, there's all yeah. kinds of favors that don't have to be underage girls' sex things. Right. It's my belief that Epstein's business model was I'm a blackmailer in the in the disguise of a hedge fund manager. And he would get these powerful people in compromised positions. They, I, I don't know if they knew the night before the age of these people, but then the next morning, hey, look at all these pictures we got. What do you say uh, you let me manage uh, a billion of your dollars? Right. It's certainly possible. Yeah, and he might have been reasonably good at it, but... Yeah, I mean, if you... Uh, and If you... For instance, set up a gathering, you know, party. You got a big old house. There's all sorts of different stuff happening in different rooms. And then uh, you let it be known that, oh, man, yeah, there's a lot of coke, a lot of hookers at that party last night. And I, Joe Getty, governor of California, say, whoa, 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 coke and hookers. I didn't see anything like that. 
You tell me I was at a party with lots of coke and hookers, and Jeffrey would say, uh, "Don't worry, little bitch, just, just, I'm, nobody's going to say anything. I'm sure not going to say anything. Come on, we're friends. I would never let anything bad happen to you. By the way, I'm holding a fundraiser next week. You know, he operates like that. Or uh, let me just uh, manage a few hundred thousand for you, or maybe a couple of million. Yeah. Do you wow, think this tale? Do you think this tale will be spun out through this court case or not? Uh, more blanks will be filled in, yeah. I think we'll have a fuller picture of how he operated. Certainly a lot more attention on it than when it happened down in Florida. Nobody was paying any attention. I heard one pretty uh, heavyweight prosecutor explaining why this is far from a slam dunk right. prosecution, right. this Maxwell woman, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, Diane Feinstein appears to be a lobbyist for the communist Chinese. Well, I nice. do not say that lightly. Her own words condemn her. Next. With what is going to be the story of the next century, maybe the story of the next 500 years, uh, China and its relationship to the world. I'm just obsessed with it now. I can't read enough about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that book you're talking about, The 100-Year Marathon, sounds good. Correct. It sounds terrific. Uh, so uh, ancient California Senator Diane Feinstein was uh, speaking in a hearing uh, on Capitol Hill yesterday in the United States Senate and said... Well, the following. Well, there clearly is a difference between the East Coast and the West Coast. Where I live, we hold China as a potential trading partner, as a a country that has pulled millions of, tens of millions of people out of poverty in a short period of time, and as a country growing into a respectable nation among other nations. Wow. And I deeply believe that. She wow. is. She's a lobbyist for the communist Chinese. She is multiple years behind on this story. So she's either just like old and out of touch and is buying the 40 year lie that Republicans and Democrats bought. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy who wrote this book, the um, the 100 year marathon, he was involved in, vi- in advising <clears throat> presidents starting way back with Nixon and going all the way through Obama. Um. And and he's embarrassed by this. His name is Michael Pillsbury. That's one of the reasons that gives this whole thing so much uh, a credibility to me, is that he is, I mean, he's, he's horrified that he was telling Barack Obama, for instance, and Bill Clinton and, and, and whoever else he was advising at the time, you know, to give the Chinese more military this and more breaks on that and everything like that, yeah. and not recognizing what was going on. Yeah, it's like Mark Zuckerberg calling down for shut, or calling for shutting down all of social media. I mean, it's a, it's astounding that this is the guy who's saying it. But uh, Diane Feinstein has benefited from her husband's relationship with China. She pushed for expanded trade relations with China as her husband's company was partnering with business ventures in the country. She said that a firewall existed between her political career and her husband's business interests. Never came up at home. She had no awareness. Oh, honey, you're doing business in China? That's funny. I just shoved through a liberalization of a trade with China. Something else. And now she's saying, and what was that quote? That they're, um, 
What's the specific verbiage? China is growing into a respectable nation. No, they're not. There's no evidence Xi of that whatsoever. Xi Jinping has taken it more authoritarian than at any time since uh, Mao Zedong. Who is she talking to? Did anybody drill down on it? Give me one example of how China is growing into a respectable nation. Unless you mean respectable in terms of power. They're very respectable in terms of economic and military might. But respectable on the world stage, like human rights and, uh, and and competing fairly economically or any of that? They have millions in concentration camps, and they're growing into a respectable nation. They're expanding their country into the ocean by building islands that are military bases right. and calling them part of China. No, they're growing into a respectable nation. <laughs> That's what you meant by growing? The, <laughs> the South China Sea stuff? <laughs> That's astonishing. It really is. Well, and you have Australia and Vietnam, for goodness sakes, and, and and all of the Asian Rim countries, Japan, all getting together now saying China's incredibly dangerous. And you have Dianne Feinstein carrying their water for them. This is a dark, dark blot at the end of her career. Wow, that's unbelievable. You will not hear this anywhere, though, in the mainstream media. You just won't. If if Trump were to say, you know, Russia's kind of nice this time of year. Yeah, collusion, Putin, he's in his pocket, cozy with dictators. Yeah, in love with authoritarians. Right. You'd hear it for a week. Her saying China is a respectable nation, that's just absolutely incredible. You're right. If I hadn't heard it here, I would not, not have heard it. Armstrong and Getty.